Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Huge shout out to my friends from out of town who brought me some coffee this morning. I already had some coffee, but it was from home, so it was good, but it's not. Was this River Roasters? Oh, man, I feel blessed this morning. Oh, excuse me. Okay. I discovered this week, um, Norm had mentioned Old Town Coffee as well. Um, shameless plug. I thought their espresso was good. I have pretty high standards, so I think, I don't know if I do or not, just not Folgers. Anyway, um, but no, uh, Old Town Coffee was good uh, this week as well. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to have kind of a slow roll-in start to our, our, uh, our talk, our our discussion today. <clears throat> so the title for today's message is God Gives Peace. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, the chapter, uh, chapter 53 of Isaiah. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring together is that peace will come through the Savior's sacrifice. Um, if you have one of those uh, handy-dandy handout things that's on there, I'll probably be mentioning it a few times throughout um, our time together this morning, but um, peace will come through the Savior's sacrifice. Uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. So this week, um, oh, we're going to do some review. I put the slideshow together last night. Uh, no, 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 go, go back. We'll do some review. Okay, so uh, this, we've been in a series called In the Waiting, um, and the thing I love about the Advent season is that Advent means arrival, but as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, that's what the season of Advent for the church is, um, we're waiting to celebrate that. We're kind of rehearsing year in and year out this reality that people for millennia had to go through and wait for um, the Savior that God had promised to Israel and also to the world. And so I had this thought for this kind of series a couple of years back of how, you know, God meets us in the waiting. That God actually steps down into our circumstance even when we're in the thick of it, whatever that might be. And so the first week we talked about hope. It's always a good place to start. Um, and we uh, looked at Isaiah chapter 9. And it's that uh, famous verse about, you know, the Messiah being uh, uh, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Uh, those are the titles given to him. And, um, and we explored that there. Um, last week we talked, uh, we looked at, I believe it was Isaiah 12, I think. Uh, and there we explored how God gives us joy in the midst of our waiting, because in that section of Isaiah, they were a people who were tired of war. Um, they had wicked leaders. Um, it was 
Uh, if I was a person in the nation of Judah, I would be pretty tired um, of all the everything going on. Um, I imagine you would be as well. Um, some of you might be more curmudgeonly like me um, in those moments. Uh, but, you know, but in that place, God says that you will have joy. You will sing these songs of joy. And how one of the neat things about this season is that uh, there are those good old carols like we sang this morning where even if we're not feeling like singing it, those songs can bring us joy. Um, I think uh, Virginia had put on the back table there uh, the lyrics to, uh, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Um, and over the years, I have just grown to love that poem and that hymn because, man, there's so many times I need to be reminded um, that God brings peace on earth and goodwill to men, even when it feels like there is no peace. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. So today that brings us to the topic of peace. And this week, as we're slowly getting into the topic, you can go to the next slide. Um, this week on December 7th, we commemorated as a community the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Um, I, you know, full disclosure, I'm from Portland, and so sometimes they put the flags at half-mast, and you never really know why, and I'm a millennial, and so I wasn't around here, but I have great respect and, you know, admiration for the people who lived through that time or had parents who lived in that time, who lived through World War II and before. And the neat thing about this moment that we commemorated this week is that it was a time where America had just been sitting on the sidelines saying, rest of the world, you deal with it. It's not our problem. And then it became our problem. Just all, and we don't have to have a history lesson this morning. You know about World War II or you can look it up on Google or a history textbook or something. But we honor the men and women who died that day. And on the days that followed as, um, as our world tried to protect freedom um, and hopefully tried to bring some sort of peace. I remember singing in high school um, for, we had this thing called Living History Day where we would honor veterans on Veterans Day. Um, and we'd invite all veterans from all the wars that were still living um, who could uh, just talk about their experiences uh, and as a choir boy, I got to sing this one song. I tried to look up the words last night, and I couldn't find them. And if you listen to the choirs do it, it's like, I can't quite catch those words, guys. But um, the title of it's called A Just and Lasting Peace. And it's this idea that, you know, America, we have come to bring a just and lasting peace. And it's, it's a good song, but I mention all of that because... We remember these things, and that was our charge for a long time uh, as a nation, and that's kind of been the ethos around our people, um, even though, uh, you know, there might be some signifiers to say, well, maybe you're more warlike than peaceful, but that's a topic for another time. Go to the next slide. 
Okay, another thing that happened, my mom's birthday happened on, I think it was Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, December 8th. Um, she has this birthday every year. She has ever since she was born. Um, but uh, in the year 1980, um, John Lennon was murdered. Um, some fanatic decided, oh, hey, I know what I'll do to show my appreciation. I'm going to kill you. That's not a good thing, guys. That's terrible. But uh, December 8th is my mom's birthday. And the year that that happened, my Uncle Bill called up my parents and she thought, oh, somebody remembered my birthday. No, it was just letting him know, did you know that John Lennon died today? Um, and this is kind of going along with this idea of peace and whatnot. So on, uh, on one of the upper corners there, we have uh, John Lennon and his wife Yoko Ono having a protest, peaceful protest, where they wrote the song, Give Peace a Chance. It, it's a nice song. It's a nice anthem kind of thing. Um, they also wrote a song called War Is Over, Happy Christmas. Um, and they also wrote the song Imagine. And all three of these songs in like a lot of the body of work that John Lennon created, um, his idea of peace was non-conflict. That if there's a conflict, then we need to bring peace to that situation. So give peace a chance. Like, well, you've been trying this war stuff for a while, let's just give peace a chance. Or um, I think War is Over may have been written after the war. I need to do more research on that. But anyway, but it's this declaration that like saying, hey, you know, war is over if you want it. And the song Imagine, it paints this picture of, um, of a world without war and all that uh, John Lennon believed led to wars happening. Well, that's a, a talk for another time. But the thing about the song Imagine is that, and, and songs like this, is that it's a really beautiful idea. Um, but uh, as we wait for the second advent of Jesus, when Jesus comes to set all things right, which, shameless plug if you want to read more about it, we're doing a Revelation Bible study um, with uh, Mr. Norm Powell, and he's doing a great job. But that won't fully happen in our lives until Jesus comes again and sets all things to right. And today, as kind of a way of leading into that, we're not, when we talk about peace this morning and the peace that we're going to read about in Isaiah 53, we're not talking about, you know, just stopping our war and stopping our fighting. We're talking about a peace that goes deeper than that. So go ahead and go to the next slide. Oh, here we go. So we're going to do a few, a few passages to lead up to Isaiah 53. So if you have your Bibles or you just want to read along on the screen, that's okay too. Um, so there's this famous passage um, in the book of Exodus where Moses, um, he's on the mountain with God. He's just broken the Ten Commandment tablets 
over the people's heads because they're being boneheads. And so he has to go back up on the mountain, get the tablets again. Um, and so uh, him and God are having this conversation. And um, uh, Moses says, please show me your glory. Or another way of saying that is like, please show me what you're like. I want to know you more. So then picking up in verse 19 of Exodus 33, uh, God said, he said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name, the Lord, before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me you are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. Next slide. And here's the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, so to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now, let's define some terms here because they're going to show up in Isaiah 53. So, so that chapter, it, it's defining God's name, what God is like, you know, what we call God and what we believe about God. And uh, his covenant name, his promise-keeping name that he gave to his people was the name Yahweh. And so we get this beautiful picture of this is who God is. This is that revelation that Moses got that this is who our God is. In case you didn't know before from all the other stories that you've heard about him, this is a moment where God says, okay, this is what I'm like. But then here we have three terms that show up in this description of God because of uh, what God does with them. The first is rebellion, which is that willful defiance of authority. Um, it's also translated transgression, crime, sin, offense and fault and so that's that you know what the standard is you know what's expected of you and you deliberately break that that law and that expectation so we see that in adam and eve in the story of adam and eve when they knew what the standard was but then they still went against it and chose their own way that's rebellion and much of our world we have those willful act of rebellion um, my kids were just watching a TV show last night where there's a big red button and somebody said, don't press the red button. And what did they do? They pressed the red button. And then self-destruct mode happened. And it was this whole thing. Then we have the term iniquities, uh, which um, it's an offense, intentional or not, uh, against God's law. Um, I've also seen this interpreted in some other places as the sin nature, or that's what it's talking about. Iniquity, perversity, depravity, guilt. It's that inner bent that we have towards sin that we can't help but sin because we have that broken uh, sin nature within us. And so that's what iniquity is. 
Now what's interesting is that in the, the dictionaries that I have, um, they, they make the connection between iniquities and sin, saying, well, they're basically the same thing and they're interchangeable. Um, but what I would say is, in relation to that, with iniquity, it is the nature that's at the core that needs to be dealt with. Whereas sin as an object, that's something that we're doing this action whether we intend to or not, and we're still missing the mark, and it's still causing offense between us and God. And so God is willing and able to forgive these things. And we know from the writer of the book of Hebrews that uh, the shedding of blood is what uh, makes it possible for the forgiveness of sins. Um, and so all these things are able to be forgiven because of a blood sacrifice. Now, let's move along. You'll have to open your Bibles here with me to Leviticus 16. Here is where we talk about um, uh, atonement for sin or the forgiveness of sin. Um, this is, uh, go back to the other side. There we go. So there's one day a year. I mean, you could offer up sacrifices in the Old Testament uh, worship system that God set up, um, but there's one day a year where God would uh, have the priest perform the sacrifices to atone for the sins of the entire community. And that was called the Day of Atonement. Today, it's uh, in uh, Judaism, it's called Yom Kippur, um, but uh, they don't do the practice that we're going to be reading about here. Uh, this is kind of a scripture-heavy introduction, but I think it's worth the wait. So um, we're going to read the whole chapter, um, and then I might add some commentary along the way to help us out. Okay, uh, Leviticus 16. I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, but whatever translation you have is good. Okay, Yahweh, the Lord, spoke to Moses after the death of two of Aaron's sons, when they approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the curtain in front of the mercy seat on the ark, or else he will die because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. There was this piece of furniture in the tabernacle. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. Um, it, if you've seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark, it's the thing that when the cover comes off, it melts the guy's face off. Um, yeah, so that's one, that's one of my favorite scenes of a movie. Um, but so there's this thing, and the reason it melted the guy's face off is because of what we're about to read here, because when uh, there's this thing called the mercy seat, that was the covering, and there's some cherubim that have their wings pointed in. Um, and uh, each day or each day of atonement, they would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And so that is literally where God's presence dwelt on earth when he was dwelling among the people. And so when God would look down at the Ten Commandments that were inside the Ark of the Covenant, that's the covenant, he would see the blood of the righteous animal and forgive the people's sins for one more year. But you take the cover off, and it melts your face off. So here we go. Anyway, I digress. 
Okay. Aaron, that's the high priest, is to enter the most holy place in this way, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to wear a holy linen tunic and linen undergarments are to be on his body. He is to tie a linen sash around him and wrap his head with a linen turban. These are holy garments. He must bathe his body with water before he wears them. He is to take from the Israelite community two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present the bull for his sin offering. Notice it's his sin offering. We'll get to that in a moment. And make atonement for himself and his household. Next, he will take two goats. How many goats? Two goats. All right. And place them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. That's the, another name for the tabernacle. After Aaron casts lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the uninhabitable place, he is to present the goat chosen by lot for the Lord and sacrifice it, that means kill it, as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot for an uninhabitable place is to be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement with it by sending it into the wilderness for an uninhabitable place. When Aaron presents the bull for his sin offering and makes atonement for himself and his household, he will slaughter the bull for his sin offering. Then he is to take a fire pan full of blazing coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and bring them inside the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord so that the cloud of incense covers the mercy seat that is over the testimony or else he will die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and sprinkle it with his finger against the side of the mercy seat. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood with his finger before the mercy seat seven times. When he slaughters the male goat for the people's sin offering and brings its blood inside the curtain, he will do the same with its blood as he did with the bull's blood. He is to sprinkle it against the mercy seat and in front of it. He will make atonement for the most holy place in this way for all the sins because of the Israelites' impurities and rebellious acts. That's, you know, iniquity, right? So just the things that you do or the offenses you do and also the willful things that you do that you know are against God's law. Okay. He will do the same for the tent of meeting that remains among them because of it is surrounded by their impurities. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the most holy place until he leaves. After he has made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole assembly, then he will go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He is to take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns on all the sides of the altar. He is to sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse and set it apart from the Israelites in purity. Then, or when he has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he is to present the live male goat. Aaron will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the Israelites' iniquities and rebellious acts, all their sins, 
he is to put them on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by the man appointed for the task. The goat will carry all their iniquities into a desolate land and the man will release it there. And we'll, we'll stop there because I don't think the rest applies. But So here we have, if you've ever heard the term scapegoat, that's where this term comes from because the high priest would have these two goats. One won the lottery and got to live, kind of. That's a terrible way to think about it. He, he got to live, but the one who lived got to carry all the sins of the people out into the wilderness. And the one who, who, who got to die, got to die. So here we go. That all brings us to our main stuff for today. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. Some context for our passage. It, uh, the time that Isaiah wrote down this prophecy would have been around 689 BC. It was toward the end of the reign of King Hezekiah. Uh, you might remember that this was the king where um, he was a good king, actually. Um, he was a bit foolish. Um, if you want to read more about that, you can. But, um, or just naive, I suppose. But with Hezekiah, uh, he was the guy where God sent a prophet to him and said, Hezekiah, you're a good dude, but get your affairs in order. You're going to die. And um, Hezekiah was so grieved by this that he prayed to the Lord, Lord, don't let me die. Um, I feel like I have a lot more to give to the people. Um, and so God gave him another amount of time. I can't remember the exact amount, but he let him live a few more years. And then also this, uh, who this is written to is to the people of Judah, um, who even though they had a good king, um, they were still kind of caught up in their idolatry uh, still. And also to the exiles from Israel who had already been deported to Syria. So, with that in mind, next slide. In Isaiah, we haven't been doing a, an in-depth study of Isaiah because we don't have time in the Advent season. But we're towards the end, and there are these four songs within the book that lead up to the passage we're going to read today, and they're called the Songs of the Lord's Servant. And the Lord's Servant that they're talking about is the Messiah. And so I've written down on your sheet, so we don't have to read through all of them today, the addresses for those. If you want to read more about those, you can. But essentially, what Isaiah is doing is he's painting this picture of who the Messiah is going to be, what he's going to do, what he's going to be like. And so in Isaiah 42, we read about him being the hope of the nations. In Isaiah 49, he's the restorer and the savior. He's the restorer of Israel and the savior of the nations. Um, in Isaiah 50, uh, it, it doesn't have this exact verbiage in there, but uh, if you were to take all his actions and all the qualities that are described there, he's the wise comforter for the people of Israel. And then today, we get to read about the exalted sin bearer, who is a lot like the scapegoat that we just read about. So if you have your Bibles, well, hold on, my bad. Um, no, no, go ahead, go over there. Pull, no, no, go forward, forward, 
Here we go. This is where if I had a clicker, that would be really awesome. But thank you, Richard. Love you, brother. Um, <laughs> no, 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 that's good, right there. Um, so earlier I talked about John Lennon and war and peace and how, you know, that whole dynamic of things and how oftentimes we think of peace as this absence of conflict. That, oh man, if we could just get to that state in life, we'd be good to go. Well, the biblical idea of peace is this word shalom in Hebrew. And what it means is wholeness, completeness, essentially as it was meant to be. So when we read about the creation account, when God created people uh, and he called them good, that means that God created humanity perfect and complete. He meant to do it that way. And sin was the cause that brought about brokenness and unwholeness, right? Uh, uncompleteness. And now we live in a world where we experience life not as it was meant to be in the beginning, but life as it has become as a result of the fall. More on that in a moment. So now turn with me to Isaiah 53. You can go to the next slide. Um, again, Christian Standard Bible is what I'll be reading from. But whatever you've got is good. All right. <clears throat> God's speaking. Who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men and a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace, our shalom, was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before his or her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet, Yahweh was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, you will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. 
After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities, scapegoat imagery. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels." Peace in the waiting. God speaks peace. He gives us peace in the waiting. You can go to the next slide. Next slide. So in verse 2, it mentions that he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. I think Isaiah is saying the servant's supposed to be ugly, but I don't know. But just saying. Um, so what I see in this passage is that we need a peace that we weren't looking for. We need a peace that goes deeper and beyond just the absence of conflict. We need a peace that's brought on by somebody who's not just going to... Um, kick butts and take names later. We need a peace we weren't looking for. We need the Messiah, the Savior, who isn't really impressive to what we would say is impressive. Um, when I was looking for images to try to illustrate this, I was trying to think about, couldn't find a good image of Captain America. Uh, but it's like, you know, Captain America, he's that superhero in the comics and everything. And it's like, when you think of, ah, oh, I need a savior, I need a hero, I need this person, I think of someone like Captain America or someone like maybe a police officer or maybe someone like just someone in the military, I don't know. But yet, God didn't send that person. He sent a servant who wasn't going to be guns blazing. He sent a servant who is going to willingly die in our place for our peace, for our shalom. So we need a peace we weren't looking for. And peace will come through the Savior's sacrifice. Go ahead and go to the next slide. We need a peace that carries our brokenness to bring us healing. Um, one of my favorite verses, because it's become such a point of prayer uh, in the last couple of years, is, uh, that verse 5 where it talks about um, that this servant, he was pierced because of our rebellion, those willful acts of sin that we do against God's law. He was crushed because of our iniquities, that sin nature. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Some translations say um, that by his wounds we are healed. Um, I like that verbiage more, but that's not what I'm reading out of today. And so what I love about this verse, though, is that for humanity, we have this problem that we are broken because of sin. And whether it's talking about the iniquity that we have or the rebellion or the sin, either of those three descriptors, something's wrong and we need to be healed from that. Um, this week, 
um, uh, you know, kind of talking about this week. I got a toothache on Monday. I think we, uh, I mean, we're all at the age in this room where it's like we've been to the dentist. We've had toothaches before, right? Um, I have been searching for peace all week to resolve this here toothache. Huge shout out to Norma for suggesting Oragel. <laughs> that was, man, I put that on instantly and it was like, wow, it is instant relief. But even that's a Band-Aid. I, went to, I drove all the way to Springfield searching for peace because I wanted to go to an emergency clinic that took my insurance. That's a whole other topic for another day. But I went all the way to Springfield trying to find peace for my tooth to heal this situation even if they had to rip out my tooth so that I could just not have that pain anymore. Um, right now, I'm standing here because I'm on Tylenol and ibuprofen, and I am very grateful for those things. But that's a Band-Aid until I can go to a dentist who can treat my issue and get to whatever the core issue that's going on in that ever-loving tooth that I have. I mention that because we need a peace that we weren't looking for a peace that carries our brokenness to bring us healing. Jesus is that scapegoat for us. He took on our iniquities, our rebellions on himself to bring us healing. And that's for you, friends. That's for you, and that's for me. Because we can't do it on our own. I'm a helpless little baby with this tooth. I mean, and even all the Band-Aids I tried to put on it, whatever, you know, kind of, you know, respite I tried to put on that, I, I can't heal it on my own. I need someone else to be that physician for me, to help heal me. You know, one of the things in this last season that has been really revelatory to me is that a lot of time, those willful acts of rebellion and sin that we do, a lot of times I've noticed it's trying to, to mask some deeper thing that's going on inside. That our sins, you know, sometimes it's that willful act of rebellion of like, well, I just want to push the red button and neener, 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 what are you going to do about it? But other times it's like, I got this pain in my life that I can't do anything about. I just need some kind of Band-Aid fix, even if it's an empty Band-Aid fix that's not going to last long, like that blasted Oragel that I love so much. Maybe I can just get by today if I do this thing. But what Jesus wants to bring us is not just a temporary fix. He wants to actually solve the core issue that's going on. He wants to bear that iniquity to bring us something. That brings us to the next slide. Standing in our place to bring us freedom and forgiveness. We need that peace. We need someone, some savior to stand in our place like that scapegoat. Like that beautiful little goat that's tied up there on the screen. Not just a meaningless sacrifice, but something that would actually bring us freedom from our sins 
forgiveness and so that we can go about life walking in freedom, getting to taste a little bit of life on this side of heaven where we would get to taste and see that the Lord is good and that we would get to taste and see maybe life as it was supposed to be, getting a picture of that peace, that shalom, that completeness that God has for us. And that is bought by the blood of Jesus. That's what we believe as a people. And for us, as we celebrate Advent and we look forward to Jesus coming a second time, we also rehearse this moment where for these people, all they had was the blood of bulls and goats to help cover their sins. And yet Jesus paid with his precious blood for us, all to bring us that freedom and forgiveness. Um, in Isaiah 53, it doesn't say it exactly verbatim, but it's this idea of he took our sins on himself. They weren't his sins. It was our sins. And just like the scapegoat, he stood in our place willingly for both the willing sacrifice who was cast by lots and the one who carried our sins into the wilderness. Peace will come through the Savior's sacrifice. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And finally, in verse, verses 10 through 12, uh, we, see kinda, we see the outcome of this. And ultimately, this peace that God wants to bring us it is restoring the rebels into the family of God, back into the family of God. This is uh, one of my favorite pictures. Um, a friend of mine has a, a t-shirt with it on there. It's this picture of the prodigal son. And uh, we don't have time to go into that uh, story today, but um, the father had every right to turn his kid away and say, look, you wronged me and offended me so much by your actions. I can't forgive you. That's what the father had every right to say. And yet the father, when he saw his son in the distance, ran to the son, embraced him, and said, welcome home. And so this Messiah, this Savior, that God is telling the people about in their waiting is someone who wants to restore the rebels back to the family, wants to embrace them, wants to bring them back in and say, it's okay, I love you, here's my love, here's my forgiveness that I've paid for you, that I have stood in your place for, here you go, here's your freedom, here's your forgiveness, here's the thing you weren't looking for, here's not the temporary fix, this is the full fix of fixing what's on the inside, you're home, you're in family again. And so I'm not going to belabor the point altogether. Um, uh, it kind of creates this nice phrase um, with these points that we need a peace we weren't looking for, a peace that carries our brokenness to bring us healing by standing in our place to bring us freedom and forgiveness and restoring the rebels into the family of God. That's you and me, friends. And so what I'd like to do 
is at this time we're going to take communion together. And what I'd like to do is we're, I, I'm going to pray, then I'm going to read. No. Nope. I'm going to read, then I'm going to pray. And then um, as I'm praying, uh, I welcome you to speak to the Lord this morning. Tell him what you're going through. Tell him what his peace means for you today. Um, tell him what sins might be standing between you and him. Because today, he wants to restore you. He wants to bring you freedom and forgiveness. He wants to bring you that shalom. And Jesus did that by paying with his blood. And so I'm going to read again from Isaiah 53. Is that how we did it? Yes, that's what I just said. <laughs> uh, I'm still getting used to this. And so uh, I'm going to read from Isaiah 53, and then we're going to pray. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his faith? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death, and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many, and interceded for the rebels. Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus.
because you are good, because you are righteous and holy. Lord, we worship you this morning and we remember the sacrifice that you made on the cross. Lord, we confess to you this morning that there have been times this week and in our lives, God, where we did not love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, with all of who we are. And that there have been times this week and in our lives, God, where we did not love our neighbor as ourselves, where we have broken your law, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and we need your forgiveness. Lord, thank you that you are gracious and compassionate and that you are patient with us. Thank you that it was your pleasure to bring us this freedom through this sacrifice, that it was your pleasure to bring us this peace through your blood poured out for us on the cross and your body that was broken for us. So as we take these elements, Lord, help us to know our forgiveness. Help us to know that we are yours, that we were bought with a price, and that you have welcomed us back into family this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you did for us on the cross. And thank you that we have forgiveness now and we can have both your grace and your peace today. Thank you. Help us to live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.